Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 15. This is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. It is quoted frequently in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul and also by the Apostle James. Let me quote Derek Kidner at some length here. He says, The New Testament finds this a momentous chapter in two respects. First, in its declaration that Abram was justified by faith, a phrase at the heart of Paul's gospel in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. And secondly, in its record of the covenant, For this, rather than Sinai's, was the fundamental covenant, and it spoke of grace and not law, closed quote. So it's an important chapter for two different reasons. So we'll try to keep our eyes on both of those reasons as we make our way through the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now I mentioned back when we were discussing chapter 12 that Abraham is called the father of faith, and therefore we read his story looking to learn about the life of faith. Abraham is faith-illustrated, and we learn some terribly important things about faith in this story. The first thing we learn is that faith means believing in the word and promise of God despite what your eyes might see. Abraham saw that he was getting old. Maybe his hair was getting thin. Maybe his pants weren't fitting the way they used to. Maybe he was tired after his campaign to redeem his nephew Lot. Whatever it was that he saw, he knew what it meant. It meant that he was old and past the point of having children. He knew that his wife was old, and therefore he knew that in all likelihood he would die without a natural heir, and he brings that concern to the Lord. And the Lord tells him that he will have a son and that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And despite everything Abraham saw, despite all that he knew about how the world worked and how bodies worked and how he was feeling, despite all of that, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith is believing God's word over and above what you see and think to be true. Now, time and again, 
This verse is quoted in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 4.3, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So, Paul says that a person isn't saved by doing a bunch of works. He is saved by believing in what God says and what God does on his behalf. The Apostle James quoted this text as well, though he added that faith must show itself in proving works, and he cites the example of Abraham offering Isaac on the altar in Genesis 22. Paul quotes it again in Galatians 3, 6-7, saying, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So Paul there says that the offspring, who are more numerous than the stars of the heavens, that doesn't refer to Abraham's physical children, but ultimately it refers to his spiritual children. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So salvation is by faith. Membership in the covenant community of Abraham is by faith. That's important for us to see. But what does it mean that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness? How does that work? Is that like when you play skee-ball and you, you earn a certain number of tickets that you can then go and exchange for candy or stuffed animals? Right? How does, how does this work? D.A. Carson says very usefully here, he says, this does not mean that Abram earned brownie points for deploying such a righteous faith. Rather, the idea is that what God demands of his image bearers, what he has always demanded, is righteousness. But in this sinful race, what he accepts, crediting it as righteousness, is faith. Faith that acknowledges our dependence upon God and takes God at his word. Closed quote. That is so incredibly helpful. God accepts faith. Faith that understands that we are being helped by a gracious God. Faith that understands that we require help from a gracious God. And faith that takes God at his word. God accepts that and in mercy as grace credits that as righteousness. Thanks be to God. We jump back into the text at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over and against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, in the ancient Near East, covenant cutting was a fairly common way of formalizing arrangements between a superior and an inferior. Commonly, the king or the, the chief would promise to provide protection and justice, and then the lesser party would promise to provide 
food for the Lord's table, a few trained men for the army, a portion of his produce and profit, and loyal obedience to the king's word and law. And then to seal the deal, the lesser party would usually pass through the severed carcasses of a variety of sacrificial animals as a way of saying, let it be so done to me if I should fail in any of my obligations to the king. So this is God speaking to Abraham in a language that Abraham would have understood. This is God assuring Abraham that they are in formal relationship. Remember, this all began because Abraham was afraid and was wrestling with some doubts. So this is God assuring Abraham, I am with you in this. We are bound together. We are in formal covenant relationship. Verse 12 goes on to say, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So here, God shares some of the timing and some of the reasons for the timing with Abraham. Abraham has been wondering when he will start to receive the things that God has promised. You remember that God promised offspring and a land. Well, Abraham doesn't have either of those things at this point in the story. And so God begins to explain the timing. He tells Abraham that he cannot possess the land of Canaan at this point because God is waiting until the sins of the Amorites justify their dispossession. So he has a plan whereby the children will go down into Egypt, sort of like sending your child off to boarding school, right? He will learn a great deal and have to fight through some bullying and mischief, but it will make a man of him such that he is ready and prepared to face the world. And the timing will coincide perfectly with God's justice in judging the Amorites. By the time Israel is ready to be a nation, the Amorites will be ready for judgment and dispossession. And the point here, I think, is that God is capable of working a multifaceted plan. He is simultaneously pursuing plans of judgment and salvation. God is always all of who he is in all of what he does. Thanks be to God. Verse 17 says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, this is by far the most remarkable section in the chapter. You remember that in a normal covenant-cutting ceremony, the lesser party passes through the pieces as a way of pronouncing a self-maledictory oath right? Let it be done so to me if I fail in my obligations to the master. But here, God 
passes through the pieces under the symbols of a smoking pot and a flaming torch. God says that he will bear the curse for our covenant failures. God, in essence, promises to keep our end of the bargain. He assumes our side of the deal. Peter Gentry says here, the fact that only God passes between the pieces is quite remarkable and shows that the promise depends upon him and him alone, close quote. Are you hearing that? You see, the gospel is about what God does, not about what we do. The fundamental storyline of the Bible is about what God does for us that we could not do for ourselves. It is about how God finds us and saves us and restores to us all that we lost through rebellion, defection, and sin. This vision was meant to encourage Abraham. Remember, Abraham was feeling depressed. He was experiencing doubts. He wasn't sure that he could do what God said was going to be done through him. So this is God encouraging Abraham. This is God saying, I will do for you what I am going to do through you. (laughs) That's amazing. That's the gospel. And that points us forward to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one, ultimately, who keeps our end of the deal. He fulfills our covenant obligations. He pays for our covenant failures, such that if we are children of Abraham through faith, then we can be sure that we will inherit all of the promises of God. That's why the Apostle Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In Christ, we have kept our end of the deal because Christ has kept our end of the deal. He obeyed God perfectly and he paid the price for our covenant failures. Therefore, in Christ, we now inherit all of the promises of God. (laughs) That's the gospel. That's what Abraham saw, believed, and rested in. Jesus said in John 8, 56, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, what did Abraham see about Jesus? Did he see him born in Bethlehem? No. Did he see him walk on water? No. Did he see him multiply the loaves and fishes? No. So what did he see? He saw God doing for him what he could never do for himself and paying for what he did do and would do in his own person and at his own cost. He saw the gospel. He saw Jesus. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches.
Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile one is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 